you know, when you're a business owner, it, it, even though it's a franchise, you've got to have grit and, and you know, endurance to, to work hard. Backed by popular demand, that was Angela Cote from Angela Cote Consulting. We had Angela on in episode seven, and her episode is topping the charts. So we decided to bring her back, and this time she's talking about the DNA of a franchisee. In this episode, she's going to talk about the 10 qualities that make up a successful single unit franchisee. Thinking about joining a franchise? You might want to check this one out. Are you a woman who's considered investing in a franchise or running one yourself? Are you searching for honest information to help you make the best decision for your future? Have you ever worried about whether the information you're finding has your best interests in mind? We're here to help. Welcome to Franchise Rising. I'm your host, Aaron Carpenter. Let's get going. Welcome to the Franchise Rising podcast. This is the show where experts, franchisees, and franchisors share stories, strategies, and expert advice for women who want to own or invest in a franchise. The information on this show is not intended as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy a franchise and is for information purposes only. If you've been listening and enjoy the show, we'd love it if you'd spread the word. Tell a friend, share it on social media, subscribe via your favorite podcast player. We're pretty much everywhere at Franchise Rising. Thank you so much for giving us feedback so that we can make the show better. Without further ado, let's transition to today's guest, Angela Cote. So welcome back, everyone, to the Franchise Rising podcast. Uh, after an amazing, amazing response mm-hmm. from an episode that we had about a month ago now, or maybe a little more than a month by the time this is aired, we are bringing Angela Cote back. So last time she talked about the five rock star questions to ask as a franchisee or to ask franchisors. Now we're going to, we're going to turn to another topic and that is we're going to talk about the DNA of a franchisee. Did I get that right? Yes, absolutely. I'm excited. I'm excited to be back. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much, Angela. Go ahead. Let's go ahead and jump in. Give us a little, a little background on this whole idea of the DNA of a franchisee or, um, you know, maybe it is a successful franchisee or just give us some context first into this topic, why you felt it would be important to bring up to our audience. And then we can dive into the actual uh, qualities that make up this DNA, this franchisee DNA. Absolutely. So one of the big things about this is that I think there's a, there's a lot of myths out there. So I'm, I'm out to bust some myths to make it a little easier for people to actually know the true picture of what they're getting into. And having, um, having grown up on the franchisor side, and, and if anybody's heard the, the previous podcast of yours that I was, I was interviewed for, they would have heard the story of me. I, I'm pretty sure I talked about being a 20-year-old female who was um, working with, you know, trying to teach uh, 60-year-old male franchisees who had invested their life savings yeah. um, how to be, you know, successful as franchisees, how to be profitable and, and compliant and all that. And so I, in that role, I was a the, initially I was a field trainer and I would, I would show up um, at their store. It was, you know, M&M meat shops. I would show up at their store 
and, and, you know, have to teach them and get them up and running. So the first week I was there with them, we were literally doing things like putting pictures on the wall, um, you know, doing their first schedule and, and all the first things. And I, I, I just remember that, you know, the whole concept of, of um, thinking it was a, a turnkey, you know, like, oh, I'm just going to walk in and it's a turnkey and it's, it's you know, proven system. It's going to be easy. You know, there were, there were so many little things that I, I saw that, you know, kind of myths that, that are out there um, that, I, that I think as a franchisee, you want to go in knowing. So I, when I work with um, franchisors, I think it's really important for them, obviously, to know the, the DNA of a franchisee so that they can attract the right people that are going to be a good fit and everybody's happy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes really good sense. And I'm sure I mean, from, from the people that we've been speaking with, uh, a lot of women do see this as their opportunity, as their way out, whether it's out of this grueling corporate gig, or maybe they've been home with their kids for a long time. And the <laughs> easiest entry point aside into some sort of entrepreneurship or a, a way of working and, and really owning your own destiny and building something for yourself, a lot of women are starting to discover that and, and men as well, people that, hey, this could be achieved through franchising. This may be the, e may be the easiest way aside from, say, uh, network marketing or something that might have a, a different entry point in entrepreneurship. That said, they may come thinking that, hey, this is turnkey, business is built, step on in and, and run it and you're off to the races. What I'm hearing from you is there's a lot more to it than that. Right. Yeah. So it's just so important that, that, um, that they're a fit and, you know, there, there's all kinds of other things to consider to match the brand. But what I'm talking about is the, you know, foundational characteristics mm. of a franchisee for any brand. Okay. For any brand. Pretty much. I mean, you, there might be someone that challenges me out there, but I'm talking about a general perspective of, you know, what, what's important, um, what the characteristics are to be successful and happy as a franchisee. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. Well, let's, let's hear them. All right. So I've got 10. Um, I'll start with one that, that is most commonly uh, misinterpreted and, and causes probably, probably the most headaches for people. And that is being undercapitalized or not financially prepared. So the franchisee needs to be properly financially prepared. And I think that a lot of um, you know, franchisors are eager to get franchisees into the brand, especially when they seem to be a fit. And I lived and breathed the situation back when I was a field trainer and a field consultant where the franchisee didn't have the operating capital. So they had the initial investment. Usually half of it was financed. And now they're in the brand and they're, they're feeling really cash strapped and stressed because they can't afford you know, the inventory they need or the labor that they need to pay to, to work. So undercapitalized franchisees, sorry, I should, I should swing that around and say being uh, financially prepared is really important. Angela, that makes perfect sense. My next question about this first one is how do you know? How do you know if you're financially prepared and who can you trust to give you that advice? About well, I, yeah. Well, the franchisor should have a really good idea of the break-even point. Mm -hmm. So if you can find out, you know, what is the break-even point and what is the, what is, they generally will have, well, they should have um, a clear picture of what is going to be the working capital you're going to need for the first six months or year. Different businesses 
obviously are going to have a different timeline for that. Um, so, I mean, if anybody should know, the franchisor should know. Um, one thing I'll throw in there too is that it helps immensely when, and I saw this firsthand, when the franchisee has a spouse or, or partner who has a steady income, which sounds pretty obvious, but, right, <laughs> but I've right. seen it not be the case. Yeah. And one thing I've heard is that you're not, you cannot go into this thinking that you're buying yourself a job. Right. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I think, yeah, it's just a common misconception that, you know, a bit because it's a franchise that that's going to start making money right away. So knowing, you know, the, the break even point and, and what sort of level of working capital you're going to need to have is, is so critical. Okay. Yeah. Being financially prepared. Number one, what's right. next? Number two, um, and yeah, this might not sound like rocket science, but it's so important is being systems oriented. So you may have heard that some of the best franchisees are veterans because they're used to following a system. So often franchisors will even have like a discounted franchise fee for veterans. Um, so being able to follow a system, um, you know, it's okay to have to question the system a little bit, but, but, you know, if you're kind of more rule follower system oriented, that's probably going to be a good fit. Yeah, that makes sense. What now next? I'm gonna, well, now I'm going to throw in the, the kind of flip side to that coin and say that they, it's good for them to have a touch of entrepreneurialism. If they're too systems oriented, then they're going to be like a robot. We don't really want that. So having a touch of entrepreneurialism where they maybe, you know, see that there's a, there may be a, a modification on how they can do something to make it a little bit more efficient or, um, you know, in a minute when I get to further along here, we'll talk about being community oriented, you know, being a little bit creative is, you know, a little bit of an entrepreneur is a good thing being, you know, and it's really, I guess it depends how you define entrepreneur. Um, I define an entrepreneur as somebody who is, you know, really creative and wanting to start their own new thing, take risks. Um, you know, it's only a touch of entrepreneurialism in franchising because there's less risk because the franchise is already proven. Unless it's brand new, then you might be a little, and that's the thing, an early franchisee is going to have more entrepreneurialism or, or should have more than a more established brand's franchisee. Okay. So a brand with maybe what, under 10 units? Yeah, so those early those early adopters are typically going to be a little more entrepreneurial, so they're going to be more risk takers, and they're usually going to have some say into creating some of the systems in the brand and the processes, and maybe even might even have some say into the branding more than, of course, if you had like three hundred franchises. Why is that? Why? Well, what, what might seem self-explanatory. No, maybe yeah, but say it anyway. I, I like it. I'm going to say it. Yeah, I'm going to say it anyway, just because this is a question that I had earlier on in the journey. And so I imagine some of our listeners may have it as well. Yeah. Well, it's a good point because when we're so immersed in this, in this world of franchising, we forget, you know, what, what it is that people are aware of and what they aren't. So early franchise or, or franchisees, um, because they're, the brand is still the, 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 the unit economics better be proven, you know, that there's a, a profitable business model, but often there's still um, systems to be figured out, like what's the best way to build business in the community, for example, or um, it might be a process within the business, you know, how uh, customers are greeted. So often those, those early franchisees, 
um, are, you know, because they're on the front line, they come up with a great idea. I mean, even, even in an established franchise that happens. Um, but early on, there's a lot of still wiggle room because it hasn't all been systemized. Got it. Yeah. yeah. All right. That makes sense. All right. So number four, number, number four, four, number four is, uh, and now actually this is going to ring a bell from our previous podcast that we did together. So brand loyalty and passion for the brand. Um, you know, I talk a lot about people who want to, um, they, there's, there's people that think I want to be a franchisee and then they sort of go brand shopping. And then there's those people that are really passionate about a brand and they go, wait, I could be a business owner of this brand. So it might be like the fitness studio that they go to or, um, you know, it might be the, uh, like a, a salon that they go to or something. Um, so I, I think that no matter what, at the end of the day, obviously you want to make sure that the numbers are good and that, you know, it's got great potential. But you, I truly believe you have to have loyalty and passion for the brand because, you know, a, a year, two years down the road, it's, it's going to get awfully, you know, frustrating and, and tiresome if it's not something that you are pretty excited about. And, and as I mentioned uh, on our previous um, podcast together, it may not be just, it may not be the actual, um, you know, the, the service being offered. It may be the brand overall, meaning the company and the people behind it. Mm, okay, right. Well, if I'm, you mentioned there that franchisees typically fall into two categories. The first that say, I want to become a franchisee. And then the second who have passion for the brand because they're customers of it. So as an example, what, how can I possibly have passion? And I know we did address this somewhat with the termite inspection. So everyone go ahead and listen to episode, I believe it's episode seven yeah. uh, to hear more about it. But just to re quick, quick recap, how can I have passion if I've just decided I want to become a franchisee and I, and I'm presented with three options. I stumble across this great brand and say, Hey, this looks good. Yeah. So, um, so the, you know, looking at the overall company and, and having clarity, like getting excited about, hopefully I, I talk about the core, core values and the purpose of the, you know, the brand's why, what's their, their why or their purpose. So you, you want to align with that brand overall. So that's the kind of things I would be looking at as well. So even if it is like a termite um, business, you might look at the, you know, the founder and say, um, wow, this person's really dynamic. Um, maybe they found an innovative way to yeah. deal with termites and that excites you. Right. Um, so I think really, you know, um, lifting the hood and, and looking further into it and making sure that, you know, you get really excited about it. And it may be, like I said, might be the company itself, not just the service being offered or the product. Right. Does that answer what you were asking? Yeah, no, that, that answers it. And, and what that also reveals to me is we also have to remember that when we're buying a franchise and we're paying these ongoing royalty fees and fees to the brand, part of what we're buying and we're paying for is this brand itself and their preservation of that brand so that franchisees like yourself or, not, or, or other franchisees can continue to feel passionate about it, right? Because it, it helps. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's, um, you want to buy, yeah, it's, you want to make sure that you're, you're becoming a franchisee of a brand that everything that they're doing gets you excited. Right. You know, the way that they're supporting the franchisees, um, the way that they are positioning themselves against the competition, the way that they're positioning themselves, a community member that gives back, maybe it's a environmental, you know, 
advantage or something like that. So I think looking at the overalls is critical. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for answering that question. Yeah. Tell me what's next. What's next is being patient. And this is a big one. And especially in the the, uh, uh, company that's more established, like a franchise with more units, the more franchise units out there, the longer things take to move through the system. So you might have like a really good idea that you think, you know, you want to submit through whatever portal it is within the system that enables you to give feedback and things just can't change overnight. So it it really requires a lot of patience as a franchisee. Mm, And that's something that you may not know going into this. Yeah, I think it's something that you might not think of. And I mean, it even, it even requires, when I say patience, like if all of a sudden the franchisor decides, you know, has to make a decision that doesn't, that you didn't have any involvement in and you have to accept it. Mm. I think that sort of requires a level of patience with the franchisor as well. And, and being able to say, trust that they're looking out for your best interest. Hopefully they are most, if they're a good franchise, but to be able to like, to know that and trust that and, and be patient and, and not always automatically, um, you know, fighting back about things and just sort of accepting sometimes. So as a franchisee, when I run into these situations and I might get frustrated, would you recommend, <laughs> this is going to be a little promotion for you, but is that where you might come in by any chance? Like what kind of person might be able to give some outside perspective about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What, because when, when whatever company, whether we're working for a company or we're a franchisee, we're in a business, we all tend to operate in a vacuum. And I know I'm always looking for outside support and coaching for perspective. Yeah, there's, there's, there's that, um, you know, such a unique relationship between franchisees and franchisor because of the, you know, the fact that the franchisees have invested, you know, often their life savings and are counting on the franchisor to help them be successful. Um, so it, it's very common that, you know, an us, them sort of mentality gets, gets going, gets, gets sort of comes to the surface and, it's kind of like even in a, in a marriage where, you know, when you step back and say, like, what are you actually concerned about? Like, okay, I'll listen, you know, I'll just actually listen for a minute here. That always helps, right? Like, and that's, that's something that um, I think just, yeah, having, and, and so often it gets to a point where franchisee and franchisor are having a hard time, you know, listening and trusting each other. So often a third party coming in, that has the perspective of both the franchisor and franchisee side can say, okay, you know, let's work this out. Let's, um, let's try to figure out how we can make this good for everybody and meet in the middle. Yeah. Okay. I imagine that uh, that's definitely helpful to have. Yeah. It's, it's, I think, um, you know, yeah, an outside third party in franchising is always valuable and, and can help a lot for sure. So yeah. All right. You ready for the next one? I'm ready for the next. What are we on? One, two, three, four, five, six. All right. Number six. Six. So this is one that gets, that gets missed quite a bit. Um, and that is being a leader. And why I say this is because often, especially when franchisees start out as clients or customers of the brand, it's often because they love the brand. So they, think, you know, I want to be, uh, I want to have one of these fitness studios of my own, or I want to have one of these, um, 
you know, in-home senior care businesses or whatever it is, they want, I want this, but they're thinking more about that side and not, not realizing that in most franchises, you're going to be hiring staff. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of franchises, it's, it's entry level and people in an entry level um, position are, they, you know, they're often, they're going to kind of move around. They're a little bit less loyal because they're often, you know, they might be um, college students or, or even high school or, um, you know, they're just a little bit less loyal. So you have to be a really good superstar leader to be able to motivate and inspire, especially when the business model calls for this like entry level wage. Mm. Do you think this kind of leader can be grown? Um, I, th- I think, yes, I think there's to some extent, but I think there needs to be some, some leadership skills for sure. I think it's definitely, it's, I, I believe it's definitely a, um, uh, somewhat a responsibility of the franchisor to provide through their field coaches, field, you know, franchise business coaches or field consultants, some kind of leadership coaching is great. I also love when I see franchisors offer professional development outside outside party professional development so they may bring in you know like do a leadership workshop for their franchisees and and offer it sometimes sometimes it'll be paid for by the franchisor or sometimes subsidized mm-hmm. um, because the goal is at the end of the day you want your franchisees to be successful right and so um, you know being yeah and, and being a leader it's it's something I see especially in this day and age with you know people are franchising all kinds of different, like diverse types of businesses. And I see it more and more where the franchisee comes from within the business and doesn't actually have that business background and that leadership ability. Um, So I think if you can find, you know, they've got some natural leadership skills, it's definitely going to be a smoother, smoother ride. Okay. Good. Makes good sense. Ready for the next one, number seven. All right. So being team oriented. And the reason I say this is because in a franchise, as a franchisee, you've got this built-in network, this team of other business owners, business, you know, uh, franchisees that are doing the almost exact same thing as you. And if you're not team oriented, you're not going to be naturally inclined to go to that network and leverage it. So I think it's really important to have that mentality of being you're on a team and that on that team, you know, we're going to tap into different people's skills and work together to really maximize the outcome. What do those communities look like, you know, just from a structural perspective? And so if I, if I become a franchisee, like how often am I meeting with these other franchisees, how do I communicate with them? How are they helping each other specifically? Like, how can I picture that as a support mechanism mutually? Mm-hmm. Great question. Before I, in, before I get into the network. Yeah. Well, this gets me really excited, this area, because I, I actually see a real gap in, in franchisors helping facilitate franchisee collaboration. So there's various ways depending on the stage of the franchisor. In an early franchisor with under 10 units, they're generally going to be somewhat regionally, you know, geographically located. So there's more opportunity for in-person. But I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of video conferencing as well. So it could be done through that. So I always recommend that early franchisors try to get their franchisees together, you know, at least once a quarter 
again, it, like I said, it could be over video conference if it's too much, you know, too, too inconvenient for people, but at least to do it that way. And what you can do in that situation is you could have, you know, a couple key areas that you're going to talk about every, every quarter and you're going to spend maybe half a day on, on a video call together. Or like I said, in person, maybe it's, you know, we're going to talk about our, like one of our KPIs, we're going to talk about a marketing strategy that's great in our business community. And then, you know, maybe one other thing, maybe, maybe employee engagement. So you can have like three areas, but the, then within that it will change and rotate throughout. So that would be um, an example for an early franchisor. Then there's um, when you get further along and it's a big kind of a range on when people think this is a good time to implement, but franchise advisory councils where the, the, the people that are elected to the franchise advisory council to represent the area. So if uh, a franchisee might represent uh, geographically like the 10 to 15 locations around them and bring those, bring those franchisees, their voice mm -hmm. to the other, you know, elected franchise um, franchisees on the advisory council and then have meetings with the head office representative. And so it brings everybody together and right directly into, you know, feedback gets through to headquarters. So franchise advisory councils. And then my very most favorite way of maximizing the, the network and the collaboration is when franchisors set up franchise performance groups, wow. which is basically a mastermind for franchisees. And Within a system, though, not yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah, and with and so the way that works is if it's well run, typically it works. And, and I actually this is something that I help with, help I help facilitate with a coworker, a colleague of mine. And so the way it typically works is that you offer it to the franchisees, and it's not for the faint of heart because they're basically going to be getting together the people that want to be in this group. So it's like a mastermind group they're going to be opening their books and, you know, picking apart what, what everyone's doing and figuring out best practices, looking at numbers. And basically it's like standing in front of the room naked. So, so you so better yeah, be willing to be vulnerable, pretty vulnerable. Yeah. And there's a lot more to it, but that's sort of the summary of, of what happens. And so it's generally ideal if you can do it quarterly, but um, it may be biannually, but it's really meant for franchisees who have, room for better performance, but that, that want it, you know, they have to want it. It can't be forced. And, um, that I've seen, you know, franchisees have like come back from a meeting and, and have like a 20, $20,000 increase in revenue because of an idea they implemented. Wow. That's huge. And it makes sense, right? Because they're leveraging the knowledge of other people that are running the same business. That's huge. You, you just can't get that kind of support and feedback as easily if you're, if you're owning and operating a one-off one -off shop. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of com coming back to the point was being team-oriented. Mm -hmm. So the more team-oriented you are, the more likely you are to um, participate in something like franchise performance groups or, um, you know, the franchise advisory council or even like just your own, like even, you know, I think it's also the responsibility of the franchisor to, to encourage the franchisees to connect one-on-one -on -one in mm -hmm. different ways. Yeah, you know? oh, that makes sense. So teamwork, that's great. That is encouraging to know that all that time spent as an, as an athlete in team sports pays off. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's good for everything, I'm sure, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right, what next, yeah. Angela? All right, being sales-oriented. 
salesy? Yeah, say, well, I don't like the word salesy, but yeah, <laughs> I know, right? But being okay. sales oriented. So what? here's another misconception is, okay, it's a franchise. I'm just going to sit in my franchise, whatever, whether it's bricks and mortar or, you know, home office or whatever it is, and the business will come. And yeah, so people think so that- Feel the dreams. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, um, it, get, it seems to be a common misconception that- you know, head office or headquarters, you know, we pay into an advertising fund. So, you know, we may pay 2% of our sales towards advertising. So we don't have to do any local advertising or anything, right? We're just going to sit there and wait. But that is so not the case. And almost every franchisor I talk to, when I talk to them about what are their challenges with maximizing franchisee profitability, they say, you know, helping our franchise, like, you know, trying to get the franchisees out in their local community to build business. So being sales oriented and, and understanding, yeah, how to, you know, how to, how to get sales and, and having the kind of the guts to go out there and do it. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, it, it, it makes sense that that's really important. And I also can understand how many, many, new franchisees may be confused about what their role is in generating business and where, the, where, where to draw the line, especially if they're already paying into an ad fund. Right. And this is where I think it really, like all of these points really come down to proper communication about the expectations in the recruitment process. Like yes. long, long before the franchisee makes the decision or, or the, the, the two make the decision to be, to partner, you know, to, to go into this long-term contract. Right. You know, it's so much about expectations. Um, you know, my dad always said, you know, with my background with the, the franchise was that make sure that franchisees, you know, read the legal documents, understand the legal documents. And then on top of that, you know, these more kind of soft points, like, what is ex exactly expected of them? And, and it will just go so much smoother because, you know, they've given it that thought, they've considered it and agreed to it. Right. Yeah. No, it, it makes really good sense. I mean, it always helps to manage expectations up front. Absolutely. Yeah. For everything, right? Everything. That's right. We got life tips 101. <laughs> That's right. Who, who knew? Yeah, exactly. What's next? <laughs> well, the next one sort of is piggybacking off the sales oriented and yes. it is being community oriented. And by community oriented, what I mean is um, not only, you know, thinking about sales, but thinking about connecting and networking with people in your local community. So, one of the, the big uh, benefits in a franchise is that you, you know, feed on the ground in the local market. You have that opportunity to connect with, say, like the local media, you know, the local um, radio station or the, um, you know, the newspaper to get PR or whatever that is. Or, and then another one is, is local charities, you know, connecting with, you know, the local charities that may be a fit and then leveraging that with your PR, which is a topic you probably enjoy talking about. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and when you talk about community, I think this is a good opportunity for a little plug for you. Uh, what about the Victoria Chamber of Commerce? Yeah. <laughs> well, did you know you're interviewing right now an, an award-winning <laughs> franchise growth catalyst? <laughs> That's right. Just a couple of days ago, everyone, Angela won the new business award for the, um, from the Victoria Chamber of Commerce 
in Canada. Yeah, thank you. Thank yeah, you very so much. Yeah. Really, really exciting. And, you know, I'm, I'm pleased to announce that this is the first interview on a podcast, is it? Since then? Um, maybe the second. <laughs> yeah, but first, uh, no, the date. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> one other okay, one is on second. the way, but yeah, <laughs> that's okay. All right, cool. First off, with a yeah, female. Very exciting. Female. So you're very community, yeah, you're very community oriented. Yeah. You know what? I learned this. I off. learned. I learned this, uh, this one also comes back to the family business, um, M&M meat shops. Sorry, I'm saying M&M meat shops, but it's been rebranded in the last couple of years, M&M food market. So just to clarify, if anybody's confused, um, but you know, we, we had it as part of the mandate to that franchisees need to, and it still is, you know, in the agreement that, you know, franchisees need to be building business in the community. And to the extent that, we actually have always had a resource and I, and I encourage my franchisor clients to do this, um, a resource that shows, we called it behind and beyond the counter because we have a sales counter in our, in our um, stores. And so how do you build business be behind the counter in the, you know, in the store or in the location and how do you build business out in the community? And that can be anything from, like I said, partnering with a charity that's going to talk about you to, um, you know, being at local events that you're a fit with and, you know, making those connections. We used to take, uh, and this might sound more common, but this, we did this long before it was, it was a common thing, but we would take like a, um, a tray of, of burgers and desserts down to our local radio station the morning of our charity barbecue day that we had like an annual charity barbecue day and we'd try to get them talking on the air and it was so funny because it'd be like seven o'clock in the morning and they're talking about eating a burger and it it just created buzz Mm -hmm. so that's an example like if that you know if you're too shy for that it, it could be challenging to really get the franchise off the ground and it depends on the brand every brand's going to be a little different but I think being really, I see the most successful franchisees are the ones that are, you know, community oriented, sales oriented, team oriented, all these things. Yeah, no, that makes sense. All right. What next? So it's the last one. So we got to have a drum roll. It's the big one in capital letters. All right. Okay. So, all right. So I used to use the word hardworking, but I changed it to grit. So having grit. So again, you know, It's that I'm trying to bust the myth that being a franchisee, that franchising is turnkey. Oh man, that especially that first year as a franchisee, you're working hard. And I mean, it depends on the company and and the concept that, you know, you may get to a point where you can bring a manager and still be successful. But a lot of, you know, these owner operator models, at the end of the day, you're still a business owner and you're the one responsible for, you know, whatever happens in that business and it takes hard work. And I'll give you an example um, with, with my franchise business with M&M uh, food market, we have these big walk-in freezers and we carry anywhere from 40 to $70,000 worth of inventory in them. So they're alarmed. So in the middle of the night, we get a phone call every few months. It could be, it could be the freezer is getting a little warm or, or it could be a break-in, you know, mm. somebody, or not a true break-in, but a, a motion detector. You know, when you're a business owner, it, it, even though it's a franchise, you've got to have grit and, and, you know, endurance to, to work hard. And, you know, all these things, you know, dealing with employee challenges and, and dealing with the ups and downs and, and, you know, the, the, uh, 
frustrations of things not moving through the system and all that. It really comes down to having, having grit and, and being able to work hard. Yeah. Just, just, this is, this is not just a clock in clock out kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess I will say there are some franchises that are when they're lower investment and there's no, like no bricks and mortar and lower overhead, mm-hmm. sometimes what can happen, especially if they're more purpose driven and, mm-hmm. and this is, this can be kind of, um, a, a like risk, what? Uh, a tutoring company or, um, maybe a, uh, mobile fitness for moms type of concept where you know, the most you're investing in is, and I'm not referring to the bigger tutoring brands, I'm referring here to more like the smaller uh, smaller ones that aren't, aren't quite as, you know, the investment is lower because they're just starting out or whatever it is. So if an investment of maybe $20,000, $30,000, you don't feel as invested. Mm-hmm. And so people will you know, franchisors will often think, oh, like, it's great because people can still be a stay-at-home mom and, and do this. And and they can, um, but it can be risky because they don't, because they haven't invested as much, their their engagement level isn't as, as high. So that that's where it can get challenging. So when I say grit, I think that even if you want to do it part-time, that's okay. You know, you can be a, a franchisee of certain brands where you work you know, less, it's not, it's not maybe 70 hours a week or, or, you know, 60 hours a week, but having, being hardworking enough to make it work, you know, you still have to be hardworking or else, you know, you're, you're really kind of throwing your money out the door mm-hmm. and leaving money on the table. Right. right. No, I mean, that, that, that makes perfect sense. And I like how you, you made it clear that you defined the importance of just paying attention to what you're investing. So some of those part-time work-from-home franchises with lower entry costs, while that can be great, one thing to be aware of is because you're not investing in as much as much money, there can be a tendency to not be as... as, as, as yeah, emotionally invested and, and personally invested. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. 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 So like the, the more established brands that have those options, like, you know, tutoring companies and that sort of thing, that's why they have a, like the reason they have a higher investment is because they have systems in place and they've, you know, they've really figured out how to help franchisees maximize and be profitable. So it it can be worth it to, you know, to invest more. Yeah, no, that makes good sense. Well, this is, this has given us a really, really good picture of, of what, as a franchisee, I should be thinking about from a, a quality perspective, from a DNA, DNA perspective, before going in, making that jump into buying, buying your own concept. So should we just do a quick recap? Sure. You want me to just go through? Yeah, just go through the list okay. so that we have them and then... Sure. Uh, yeah. So being financially prepared, being systems oriented, having a touch of entrepreneurialism. <laughs> Try saying that one five times fast. Entrepreneurialism. Entrepreneurialism. Um, having uh, you know loyalty for the brand, um, being patient, being a leader, being team oriented, being sales oriented, being community oriented, and having true grit. I love it. Fantastic. Thank you so much. All right, Angela. We. If after this, if we can grab a list of those and put them in the show notes, that would be fantastic. Absolutely. The other thing- I want to help people people make the right decision because you don't want to be, 
a franchisee that's not um, happy in the brand or happy doing what you're doing. It's got to be a fit for everybody. Yeah. And if anyone listening to the show has any questions for Angela, Angela, where can they find you? To learn more about this. I'm happy to have people email me directly at Angela at AngelaCote.com or they can they can snoop around on my website if they want, which is just www.angelacote, which is C-O-T-E.com or find me on Facebook or LinkedIn or wherever they can find me on social media. Yeah, Angela is all over social media and the web, which is fantastic. She has so much great stuff to share and uh, we really appreciate having you on the episode today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I, I just, yeah, I love this. As you can probably tell, it's my passion. So this I love it. It's a lot of fun. It. Yeah. I'm so yeah. happy that we had a chance to have you back. Thank you. It's, it's All a right. pleasure. Thanks, Angela. I'd like to give a shout out to Angela Cote for coming back on the show by popular de- demand, I must add. If you'd like show notes for this uh, episode, you can find them at franchiserising.com slash 13. On next week's episode, we'll have Lisan Basquiat, the owner of Hera Hub Carlsbad. Lisan is going to share how she manages three businesses and also how she's inspiring and leading dozens of female entrepreneurs through the Hera Hub concept. I know that time is one of the precious things you don't get back. And I really appreciate you taking your time to listen to the Franchise Rising podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you're listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more, hit subscribe. Or if you don't know how to subscribe, just go to franchiserising.com slash subscribe and we'll guide you to the right place there. Until next time, have a great week. The DNA, there's 10 chromosomes. No, <laughs> no, there's 10 points, areas, DNA, whatever. 10, uh, 10 characteristics, 10 elements. 10 I think elements. elements. 10 elements. It's things like, I'll just tell you, like it's things like um, being systems oriented, being patient, being team oriented. Qualities. Qualities. Yeah. Qualities or characteristics either. I'll let you decide how you feel. Oh, this is no, this, I think quality sounds good.